So today, how many of you are do-it-yourselfers? You like to do the do-it-yourself projects and those kinds of things. Okay, I want you to shout out your favorite place to buy materials for your do-it-yourself projects. Ready? Go. This is a way more enthusiastic group than the last one. I heard them all, right? I mean, Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, Ace Hardware. Just yesterday, uh, this week has been the grand opening of the Menard Superstore in Florence, Kentucky. So I thought I'd go take that in yesterday. That is a disaster waiting to happen, right? I mean, man, you walk into that store and it is overwhelming. They sell everything, you know, clothing and food. They need to sell food because you're in there for days just trying to find your stuff, right? But it was it was a fun, fun time for me. And I, I can remember a few years ago, uh, Home Depot had this as their slogan. It said, you can do it, we can help. Now, evidently, that was close to somebody else's slogan down in Florida, so they quit using it, but I love the slogan, you can do it, we can help. And by saying that, Home Depot positioned themselves to be the resource and training center for millions. I mean, they have leveraged this idea that we're here to help you accomplish your unique project into a $109 billion company that's number 23 in our Fortune 500 list. You can do it. We can help. That, that's part of what we've been talking about through this whole series when we've talked about four. Four. We, we began this whole idea that the mission of the church is to help you do the work that God has in store for you. And so we looked over these last several weeks. We asked just a very simple question. We said this. What do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? Because it's too easy for the church to always be seen as anti this and anti that. But really, we are the ultimate positive for communities and areas. So our first one was that. We are for our community. We, we are doing that. We're for people, schools, and businesses because we want the community to thrive. Because we're a part of the community, but we also know from John 3 that it says, for God so loved the world. It didn't say for this tribe, this group of Hebrews or whatever, but God loved the whole world. And so God loves our community. How are we reflecting that? The second thing we talked about is we were for saying yes. We were for saying yes to God because God's for you. I mean, Jesus ultimately proves that God's for us and that he was willing to die on our behalf. He came from heaven and he walked into our history in a way that would change our lives forever. And so we challenged people to consider Jesus. It was really great. Last, last hour, we had one of our young people who decided to follow Jesus. We want a response to show our community that we're for them, and more importantly, that their Heavenly Father is for them. And then we talked about being for common ground. Where's the place that we build relationships with people in our communities? How do we come alongside folks to make them know that we want to be a part of their lives, not in an intrusive way, but in a way that's encouraging? And so we talk about how we use our buildings to do that, how we use our properties to do that. That's a part of our design in the new Ross building that uh, we'll be showing more and more concepts as we go forward. How do we encourage people with the buildings that we have? And so we do trunk or treat around here. We do summer Bible camps. We do other kinds of things that bring people onto our property so they can be blessed. But more importantly, we go into the communities where we can be for them. And then last week, Kevin talked about the fact that we're for dreams. What are your dreams? What is it that you see God doing in and through you? And that's what I want to build on today whenever I use this, this last conversation. 
Because did you realize the church is the largest and most effective volunteer mobilizer on the planet? <clears throat> I mean, that, that you put all the volunteer organizations together in the United States and nobody is bigger, <clears throat> even if you add them, than the church. One example is just our summer Bible camp a couple of weeks ago. We had over 330 volunteers that on that week gave 5,820 hours. 5,820 hours from volunteers to reach kids. And by the way, one of the most amazing things from that is the very next Sunday, we had 51 first-time kids register in our children's program here at Coleraine. We had 43 kids registered in the Ross campus program. 90 kids that had never been to White Oak on Sunday mornings. And their families. Folks, we are for our community. And, and here's the deal. Here's what we're looking at today. It, I mean, thanks, Christy and Karen and the team. If you worked in Summer Bible Camp, hold your hand up for just a moment, please, so we can see you. Look around there, folks. Can we say thank you? Thank you for being four children. Thank you for being in the middle of that. Thank you for all the hours that you donated just in that week alone. You know, it's exciting to work in God's kingdom and in the church. And we're calling, we have a calling from God to reach deeply into our communities. We want to pour the fullness of Jesus into people where they live, where they work, where they play. You're amazingly designed by God. And we want to help you do what God has called you to do. So today, our big idea is very simple. It's this. We are for more. We are for more. Now, when people hear the preacher stand up and say that, we're thinking more attendance, we're thinking more dollars, we're thinking more buildings, those kind. That's not what I'm talking about today. We are for more for you. And here's some things that we need more of in order for us to step out into the kingdom. You know, we build an all-of-life approach. We want to be a, we want to develop a be-do-go approach, that, that I am the person that God's designed me, that, that, that I do the things He wants me to do, and that I go and do it where He wants it done. It, it is amazing to watch as it happens. Jesus said something remarkable in Acts chapter 1 as He is getting ready to ascend into heaven. Here's what it says, words on the screen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, how's that going to happen? See, Jesus is speaking to 11 guys here. They were plain, ordinary men who were scared spitless just 40 days before. I mean, they locked themselves away. They ran away from all that was happening. And, and, and they're going to go into all the earth? I mean, how is that going to happen? Well, they're going to have to multiply. They're going to have to pass the word along. And you know what? For some time, they just stayed in one place. They stayed in Jerusalem. Same message, stayed in a familiar spot. That's not going to reach the world. And yet, as we read through the New Testament, about 30 years later, we run into a letter that the Apostle Paul writes. Paul, who is this amazing missionary, about 30 years later, is writing to a young man that he has mentored and raised up in the church. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we read these words. He says, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You see, what Paul is saying here is that the growth of the kingdom in this world has always hinged on the principle 
that the followers of Jesus reproduce themselves. You see, when we talk about more, we talk about multiplying. We talk about taking this amazing message that we have. In fact, what Paul says here is that I taught you, Timothy, and now you teach others who are trustworthy so that they can teach others who are trustworthy. And they go from one person, Paul, to four people. That's multiplication. Because they carry the word on. Just 30 short years, all of a sudden that's starting to happen around the world. I want to show you how this happened in the first century as we talk today. Because we are for more. We want to equip you to do what God intends you to do. And we want you to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So take your Bibles or maybe take your phone or your tablet and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was an enemy of Jesus. It tells us in the book of Acts, he threatens the believers. He doesn't wants to stamp them out. He doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. On the road to Damascus, as he's getting ready to, to kill more Christians and have more Christians killed, he meets Jesus in a miraculous way. And Jesus changes everything in his life to the point where Paul, who was once the ardent attacker of the church, becomes the greatest defender and the greatest missionary of all times. So in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to people who, uh, who are under, beginning to understand this mandate to reach the whole world. And here he gives us just a glimpse of how the church was to mobilize and multiply and what some of their foundations were. The why. The why we do this. When you think about the mission to reach the world, you just get overwhelmed by the amount of work that's going to take. All the effort you have to expend. Several in the crowd here today have been to Haiti this summer. We had one team go out in May. We had a, another group going out in, in uh, June here. And... Uh, you know how tired you were when you came back. You know how challenged you were when you were there. How are we supposed to reach the world if just one week in Haiti wears me out? Well, I think we have to take this foundation that Paul's talking about because Paul faced that. And so he writes this in the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 1. By the way, we're going to do a fast fly through Ephesians today. Here's what he writes. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills, who fills everything, excuse me, fills all things everywhere with himself. Here's what we need the first more of. We need more of Jesus. We need more Jesus in our lives. It's not new techniques. It's not better ways to say things. It's not spectacular buildings. It's all those things. It's not all those things. Only Jesus can fill everything in every way. This is not pantheism where some people believe God is in everything. He's in that tree. He's in this wall. He's in that brick. He's in the drum set. There, there are some people that will believe that. No, no, no. It says he fills everything. So we need more Jesus whenever we start talking about this in our lives. Uh, I, he's going to fill every corner of culture. He's going to move into every sphere of society. And the way he does that is through us. Everywhere you go, the church goes because you are the church. Recently, I met with the leaders of a Bhutanese church, and as I said today, I'm going to be speaking with them. And we were talking because of the challenge that they'd had a 23-year-old who died suddenly. And, and I'm amazed at watching them because when we talk and when we meet, we talk about different ways to be the church. But do you know what the power is? The power is Jesus. The power is God at work in them. 
couple of days ago, I was in one of their home fellowships, and this particular fellowship met just off of Galbraith Road. And I walk in, and the basement's packed. And I'm not talking about people in rows of chairs. I'm talking about putting mats on your basement floor, and people are stacked in there everywhere. Air conditioning is not working very well. It's really crowded. This is definitely not an American scene. You know, they are sitting side by side each other. Some of us who've been in India looked exactly like that crowd. And they are worshiping and loving God in the midst of that time. Do you know that every Friday they will stop and they meet regularly for fasting prayer? A time when they decide they're not going to eat and a time when they pray. They pray for us as a church. They pray for me as a minister. They pray for you. Can I encourage you to start there? That you begin to, to devote some time every week when it's just you and Jesus? Because we get so caught up in everything that's going on around us. And we think there ought to be a new technique and a new way to do things. And it's just this, man. Talk to Jesus. Talk to God and listen. Even if you start with just five minutes. I mean, we're a living body. We're not a building. <laughs> we need more of Jesus. Second thing in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. God saved you by his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we're God's workmanship, we're God's masterpiece. I love that word, masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love the fact that the New International, New Living Translation says masterpiece, that there's this idea that with every brush stroke in our lives, God is creating a masterpiece. That's you and me. Can you turn to the person beside you and say, you are a masterpiece? Go ahead. Do it to the, person, the other person on the other side. You are a masterpiece. Now say it this way. You are God's masterpiece. This is not something you created or I created. This is something that God created. You're a masterpiece. Now treat each other that way. How many of you have ever seen the, the Mona Lisa up close, personally? You've been to the Louvre in Paris. Isn't it a disappointment when you walk in a room? You know, I'm expecting this big, huge thing. You walk in, people are all crowded around this wall whenever we walked in. I looked at Nancy. I said, where is the Mona Lisa? She said, I have no idea. So we start looking through. It's about 18 by 24, right, Carrie? Something like that. I mean, it's this little bitty picture. It's the most famous picture in the world. It's an amazing masterpiece. You see, if it was about size, we, Mona Lisa wouldn't count. If it was about spectacular, Mona Lisa wouldn't count. But she is a masterpiece because of what Rembrandt did. You are a masterpiece because of what God has done. So I don't care what kind of crud you hear from people. I don't care how difficult life is. I don't care what's happening in your life right now. Now I do care. You realize that part. But here's the deal. We believe we're victims. We believe we're, we're, we just cannot be tolerating the stuff that's going on around us. And God says, you are my masterpiece. We need to land on that foundation, folks. Because as we have more of Jesus and we realize his, he's we are his masterpiece. There's amazing things that begin to happen in the midst of our lives. We want to help you investigate your masterpiece. Your personal calling is a one-of-a-kind masterpiece on mission. And you are unique. You are handcrafted by God for expressing the fullness of Jesus into every corner of culture and every sphere of society. 
That's why you don't have to worry. That's why you, why you don't have to be afraid. I'm intrigued by Starbucks. I kind of like their coffee. I, Zach works at Big B, so I know I'm in trouble whenever I start talking about that. But, but it, most of the co- coffee shops, here's the truth. It's not about the coffee. Did you know that? I mean, it's good coffee, but it's not about the coffee. It's about the relationships. I mean, one of my kids worked at Starbucks for a couple of years, and she said, you know, Dad, we were taught to get to know the people who came in. Every one of them was a unique customer to us. We wanted to get to know their name. We wanted to get to know some things about their family. We wanted to greet them by name when they came through. In fact, we wanted to start to craft their beverage before they walked through the door when we knew they were coming. We were not afraid, by the way, I'll just show this. We were not afraid to start something that they didn't want and just throw it away because we wanted them to know how spectacular they were to us. See, Starbucks, the, the coffee shops... It, it, Yeah, they have good coffee, but it's about the atmosphere. It's about the fact that you are a unique person who walks into that door and they care about you. That's what the church is about. Every person who comes to this door is a unique masterpiece of Jesus. Do we treat them that way? And particularly those of us who've been around here for a long time, do we treat new people as they walk through as the new masterpiece that Jesus is making? And do we stand in awe of them or do we worry more about ourselves? Paul is saying, you are a masterpiece, and God has some amazing things. I want that for you. I, I want that you will become what God designed you to be. We will disciple you. We will encourage you. We will challenge you. But God designed you to study, to equip, and to be served, and to be serving. Throughout this summer and fall, I'm challenging our staff to learn how to help you become equipped to discover your personal calling and development and deployment to the best places for the kingdom. I love what, what we do with our Whiz Kids program. You guys hear me talk about that. I love our, our tutors. I love the schools that we work with. But one of my favorite stories is the story that Kevin Wiesner tells about young Jacob Colley. Jacob's been a part of Whiz Kids and Whiz Kids Unplugged, and here's a picture of them together. Kevin's been Jacob's tutor since the fourth grade, and this year... Uh, this, he's the first student that we've had that's gone through the whole eight years of whiz kids that we've done here. And uh, Kevin writes this. He says, I'm honored to be able to tell City Gospel Mission uh, that not only did one of our original WK Unplugged, that's Whiz Kids Unplugged for middle school students, return this year to participate as a tutor during his senior year of high school, but Jacob Colley graduated from Coleraine High School, magna cum laude. Because Kevin Wiesner took a young kid in the fourth grade and said, I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to call out the masterpiece that God is creating you to be and, and, and I want everything for you. And here's what he goes on and says, he'll be attending the University of Cincinnati in the fall in the College of Engineering studying environmental engineering. He'll be the first person in his family as we challenge him over these next four or five years to graduate from college. It is generationally changing. It is life-changing when you call the masterpiece that God has created in a person to happen. As Kevin goes on, I've tutored and mentored Jacob since the fourth grade, and he's overcome things that statistically would have put him in a completely different spot. Jacob plans to return next year to continue to work with a young guy he's been tutoring. He said... He said he got so much from the program, he just wants to give another kid the same chance he had to succeed. Wow, that is powerful good stuff. 
Who is it that you are pouring your life into because you want others to experience life as you've experienced it in Jesus? You know, too many times we hold people off and say, no, 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 God can't make a masterpiece out of you. That's, that's the message that we're giving. Even though God has created a masterpiece in you, he can do it in others. So who are those people that you're pouring your life into? Way to go, Kevin. Way to create masterpieces, calling them out as God does. We, need, we are for more Jesus. We're for more masterpieces. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul continues and he says this. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It just jumps out of this passage of Scripture. We are for more love. More love in your life. More recognition of the love of Jesus in your life. I mean, my goodness, how we need to marinate in the love of God. How we need to let God transform us through his love. His love for us, his love in us. It will overflow from us. He, he takes away our guilt and our shame. His love is the only sufficient motivation for our mission. So are you reflecting the love of God in all that you do? I mean, when I learn how much Jesus loves me, I want to obey him. I want to be a part of this. I, I don't do it to earn anything because I can't. But it's an honor to join him in his mission. And I love to take new steps with Jesus into ministry opportunities. Are you reflecting the love of God? In the midst of the difficulties of your life, the struggles and the chaos, are you still telling people about Jesus? Are you complaining about how hard it is? Oh, it's real. Struggles are real. I'm not talking about being inauthentic. But oftentimes we lead with how awful it is instead of how awesome Jesus is and his love. Here's what I'm praying for you. That you'll learn to weekly, daily, annually, develop the rhythms of work and rest that keep you in sync with how God designed you. Just as we see it in Jesus. We never see him hurried. We never see him overwhelmed in the three years of intense ministry that he was in in the New Testament. How? Because he knew, he knew completely the love of God in his life. So turn to the person beside you and say this. You are loved by God. You are complete in Jesus. Go ahead. You are loved by God. You're complete in Jesus. Some of you are not doing this. You are loved by God. You are complete in Jesus. Now, if you're married, if it's your family, you need to be saying that every day in your family. Because as soon as you walk out the door, there ain't many people who love you or who believe you're complete about anything. They're going to tear you up. They're going to go after you as those have. I mean, we live in a world that sends snarky tweets and bullies and bashes at every chance, right? Every motive is challenged. Every change is resisted. So realize now and trust Jesus with your life. Once you realize this truth, you can breathe deeply in the midst of chaos and calamity. This is not kesara, sarah, it's not kismet or karma. This is the result of the overflow of your life from Jesus. But there's more than just rest or just floating along. Paul says this in the next 
section. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in the faith, in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The, the challenge here is that there's a number of ideas being discussed in Christian circles about the meaning of these verses and those particular individuals that are there, but the result's this, more missionaries, more people on mission, more people moving out from within the body to reach others. You see, God designed the church to impact the world, and each of us has a role in that mission. So here's what I want you to see, that the result of this work is we see pioneering work, stuff that goes in for the first time, challenging what's happening. You see that we're working in West Africa and India and, and even here in Cincinnati as we send people into the marketplace. Pioneer work. We see people who question systems of power, who seek justice, who critique mission drift, who protect the marginalized. That's what a prophet did in the Old Testament. That's what a prophet today does, is to speak into the culture and to challenge the status quo. A prophet will speak to those issues and we have done that through Life Forward and Women's care center and sun ministry and the food pantries and other kinds of situations where we've seen people marginalized. We see proclaiming the gospel, reaching out to seekers, including new people. And I've already talked about the new folks who are here because of our summer Bible camps. But we also see people who care in the community, who build healthy relationships, that they're honored as well as clear teaching and strong values communicate. That's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers do. They equip us and challenge us to change and to grow. And so I'm encouraging our elders and our staffs and our, our, our life group facilitators and our teachers to begin to lead us to develop in all these areas. As Paul says, this leads each of us to maturity. I love to watch how you work in the community. Thank you for the way in which you care for people. Thank you for the reports as you visit hospitals. I got a conversation today with one of our oldest partners who said, do you know so-and-so is in this retirement center? And I said, no, every week. Uh, it scares me to death because I'm afraid of him driving his car. But every week he is making the rounds of many of our shut-ins and just visiting. Wow, that, that's being a pastor. That's being a pastor. So we need more Jesus, more masterpieces, more love, more missionaries. I've got a couple more. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, or of light, excuse me. Go ahead. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And Christ will give you light, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see, Jesus is in you. The love of God is flowing through you. You can go boldly into places where he's called you. And so this more is more mission fields. Everywhere you go is a mission field. Everywhere you go is an opportunity to speak about what Jesus has done in your life. God sent us 
his people, and he's placed us strategically around the world. We are not accidents. We're not living where we live by accident. God doesn't go, oh, oh, wow, I didn't realize he was living over there. No, no, God sent you on mission. And we're to express the fullness of Jesus everywhere we are, at work, at play, at study, at, at everything that we do. And you can do that uniquely. This is how you make the most of every opportunity. So I was studying for this. It, it came to me, and I just want to throw out this idea. One of the ways that we can make more mission fields is the fact that we live in communities that have something in common. Every community has local schools. And I began to dream and think, are there people that God's raising up at White Oak that would form groups that would pray for the local school? Whether it's in Cincinnati or Ross or Harrison or Colerain, your kids are in a school. You may work in a school. You may have neighbors who are part of a school. How much more can we impact our communities than praying for those young lives and the teachers and leaders there? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take that, take that connection card, and if you'd be willing to explore being a prayer captain for the school in your community. Now, I'm not talking about you going out and walking around the campus seven times, hoping the walls fall down, and everybody becomes a believer in Jesus. That, that, we're not talking about that. I'm, I'm asking you to begin to pray for that school. What are the things that that school needs? What are the things those students need? What are the things those, those teachers need? And too often we get stopped because we go, oh, I can't provide all those things. Guess what? You know somebody who can. Right? God says, ask me. Ask me. And and he, he doesn't say we're only to pray for believers. He says, ask me and see what I'll do. Man, can I tell you, there are teachers and administrators sitting in this room that they knew there were people praying for their kids, praying for their building, praying for their school. It would empower them. It would empower them to be the missionary, the, the truth here. Here's the truth reality. I recognize I cannot save people from discomfort and sacrifice of a missionary lifestyle, and that's what God's calling us to. So we have to equip you to count the cost, live in community, and care for your own soul. We'll teach you how to do that. That's what apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers do. We will do that together and tell the stories. Finally, Paul says one, another thing. So more mission fields. But the reality is when you go into the mission field, there's going to be difficulties. Here's what he says. Final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Notice it's the devil, not all the people around us. There's an evil one who wants to take us down. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Wow. Here's what he says. We have to have more surrender. We surrender to Jesus to be our power. The enemy will do everything possible to thwart God's plan for more for you. But we're called to win the battle. And we do that by surrendering to Jesus and his gospel, his good news for all people. We put on his armor, not our own, to stand against evil and to stand for our community, stand for you, stand for common ground, stand for dreams, excuse me, 
and stand for more. And so that's why we're providing these clings. Whether you want to pick up one for Cincinnati or you want to pick up one for your local community that we just have Coleraine and Ross. You want to design your own, you can do that. But we need to be telling people we're for them. And when you're driving through the drive-through this week and you decide you're going to pay for the person behind you, they can at least see the sticker that says you're for. Maybe that starts a conversation. Maybe that's something that will happen. Here's, here's the amazing thing that has happened recently. One of our folks was at a coffee, uh, at a coffee break time. And somebody came to them and said, you know, I don't know who did this, but this car just paid for my stuff and they had this four sticker on the back. I don't have any idea what the rest of the sticker said. It just said four. You see, God had strategically put that, put our person right there at the coffee shop, at the coffee break. And they could explain what four was for. I don't know if that'll happen to you. Don't know. But are you going to give God an opportunity to become famous in Coleraine, in Cincinnati, in Harrison, in Ross, Delhi, northern Kentucky, wherever we might be? Because here's what we said today. We are for more Jesus, more masterpieces, more love, more missionaries, more mission fields, and more surrender. In just a minute, we're going to take communion. And that's a time when we were reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. And he gave it all. He gave it all. So what I want to do before I do the communion meditation time, I just want to pray for you. Would you just bow your heads? Father, we thank you for this moment. This time when each of us must consider, are we surrendered to you? Yes, we're going to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice and be reminded again of your sacrifice for us. But Lord, where are we surrendered to you? So right now, Lord, I pray your power upon each person here who's a follower of Jesus. We already know the Holy Spirit indwells them and you promise to provide power for them. Father, I pray in the midst of that that it'll be evident that there's more Jesus in their life, that there's, that there's more love in their life, that, that Lord, there's, there's more recognition of being a masterpiece, that, that they realize that they're a masterpiece to be a missionary, and they move into the mission fields that you've put them on, and we continue to surrender more. Lord, you are our God. There is no one, no one above you. And so in this whole time that we've talked about four, we want to go out on mission for you. Father, I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.